the family. And this is a detour uh, from the series that we started last week about, uh, you know, the beginner's guide to predicting your future. We talked about the parable of the, uh, Jesus talked about these two guys who build the, build the houses. One of them builds on rock and one of them builds on sand. We talked about how, you know, the direction you take is going to determine where you end up. But anyway, we're going to take a, a bit of a detour today. Um, you know, there are times in the life of a church where you do feel like the season and the, just the, 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 the sense of discernment is, okay, we need, to, we need to talk about the church today. We need to talk about the family today. Yes, I didn't dismiss the kids, and thank you. Bye. Give them a hand, please, as they go. I know Diane's looking after them there in number 12. Okay. Not our future, but our present. But our present. Uh, so talking about the family. Uh, this church is almost three years old. Remember when your kids were almost three years old? Or some of them are almost three years old. They just went out the door. I'd... Remember when your kids were almost three years old? Those of you who are parents, put your hand up. You remember? Okay, well, do you have children? Yeah, some of you have children. Okay. Remember when your, um, your marriage was three years old? Remember when you had your work environment, you were in there for about three years? You, 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 we're still a baby. You're still an infant when you're almost three years old. Um, and this church, in my view, is still in its very, very early stages uh, as we learn and as we grow together, there's all kinds of things. Some of you have been with us since the very beginning, even since before the beginning. There's been a lot of change, a lot of, you know, curveballs, a lot of spinning around, all kinds of stuff. And that's very normal in church planting. Um, the church the, that, that's described in the pages of the New Testament, uh, at least, it's the gathering of the people, right? So it's not a structure, it's not a building, it's not a tradition. It's the gathering of people, the gathering of the people of the Lord. And oftentimes in the church, you can have people who gather and they don't even know Christ. And, and of course, that's part of what we do is we want people who don't know Christ to know Christ. Uh, and so the church is the people. It's not the traditions, the building. You know, we've learned that, I think, over the last three years. Uh, but the images that are used in the scripture about the church, the church is like a body, and today we'll, we'll take communion together. If you don't have an emblem yet, you'll be, you'll be served one at the end. But the church is also like a family. This is the kind of imagery that's used uh, in the scripture. Okay, so I, I want to talk to you very specifically today about the church family. And here's, here's one thing that I've learned about family, okay? And one thing that you've learned about family. You never, never, always, always get along. Is that true? Can you tell me a family where you're, it's always, you never have tension, you never have conflict, it's always harmonious, you know, your marriage is always perfect, you never have any problems in your marriage, it's just absolutely perfect. Is there anybody here who's like that? If you are, then please come and, and take the microphone because we all want to know what your secret is, right? So it's not rocket science. Well, the, the, the church is very similar because you have a gathering of people. Now, with the church, 
and with pretty well all kinds of relationships, there is, I believe, a uh, uh, part of the mix there that we often uh, ignore. Uh, we do, friends, whether we like to acknowledge it or not, or whether we want to admit it or not, we do have an enemy. We do. And it's interesting, you know, we meet in a movie theater in a, in a building with all these movies, and every once in a while you see these movies that talk about, you know, we have one now, what's it called? Annabelle, I think. Do you know what Annabelle is about? You guys on Facebook, you know what it's about? It's about a demon-possessed doll. <laughs> Imagine. That wants to run around and, I guess, demon-possess everybody else, right? And it's you know, big money, millions and millions of dollars. You get a little poster out there, you know, with this doll and these people trying to fight the doll and all this. Can I just tell you uh, uh, from, a, from a New Testament perspective, this is rarely, it does happen, but this is rarely how the enemy works. Uh, perhaps his greatest deception is that that's only how he works. You know, exorcisms and demons and Ouija boards and all these things, and people get all scared and all freaked out. Um, I've been involved in those kinds of things, rarely in my ministry, but I have seen them. Uh, but let me tell you how the enemy works um, and how we often overlook how he works. The enemy works anywhere there are relationships anywhere. And what he does is to try to break them. So we have a famous passage in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 6. It's the famous spiritual warfare passage. And if you've been in church for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard a sermon or two about, you know, how we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the authorities and the spiritual forces of wickedness and the heavenly realms. And therefore, put on the whole armor of God. And you have a whole list of the armor of God based on a Roman soldier's armor and all which each piece means. And we all, we all tend to think about devils and all these kinds of things. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 is the culmination of a whole series of relationships that Paul describes. Husbands, wives, children, parents, uh, uh, slaves and masters, which in our day would be would be your boss or the employer and the boss kind of relationship. He's, he's talking about a whole bunch of relationships, and he says, therefore, put on the whole armor of God, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Implication, your, your, your battle is not against your wife or your husband or your kids or your boss. Your battle is against the one who is trying to break you apart. That's where the battle really lies. And this is the strategy of our enemy. So if he can turn a husband against his wife, if he can turn a wife against her husband, if he can turn the parents against the kids, if he can turn the kids against the parents, if he can turn, create conflict in the family that is, that is unresolvable, if he can get families fighting with one another, if he can get neighbors fighting with one another, if he can get churches fighting with one another, if he can get people in the church to fight with one another, if the people want to fight with each other or the pastor wants to fight with the people or the people want to fight with the pastor or the community wants to fight with itself or the village wants to fight with itself or the city conflicts against itself or the state conflicts against itself or the nations conflict 
against one another. There, my friends, you have the work of the enemy. And I will be very transparent with you, very honest with you. Our church is no exception to the rule. In fact, a church plant is a prime target for the deception of the enemy. Why? Because, well, you plant a church and you dare to say that you want to reach the one who is far from God and you want to disciple people and make people passionate followers of Jesus. And you come, you meet in a movie theater, in a secular province, in a public space. Don't think for one minute that the enemy is not aware of that and that he will not try to say, oh, okay, we'll see what we can do to get people conflicting with one another. We'll see what we can do to see if we can paralyze the church so that it cannot function. We are no exception to those plans. Um, and this church, you know, you, you stop and take a breath. This church has been through a lot. When you, we, we had a string and it's still fresh, my friends, you know. We've had a string of losses in this church. People either connected to this church, uh, one in particular who is a year and a half battle, a long and difficult battle, and we lost her. And people galvanize around grief, and people unite around grief, and people are uh, uh, one as we suffer and as we grieve and as we weep together. Don't think for one minute that the enemy won't say, okay, that unity, I'm going to cause that unity to collapse. I will breathe in all kinds of little things. I will pepper people's thoughts with all kinds of things to cause a breakdown in the relationships. Every church is a target. And this is why things like prayer should be taken seriously because Every church is a target. Now, I'm going to be very, very transparent with you, very practical with you. Those of you who are watching on Facebook, this is going to apply to your, 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 your business, your marriage, uh, your, your church, if you're part of a church, uh, your, your team, if you're on a sports team, uh, anywhere where you have close relationships, these principles are going to apply. Uh, but in particular, they apply in the church I don't know that I've ever heard a message that was practical and clear on this subject, but I'm going to attempt to be as practical and as clear as I can in this area because, again, I say our church is no exception. So here we go. What do you do? Step one, step, you know, what do you do when you feel offended? When you feel offended. So, again, this can apply all, all across the board where you have relationships, but you will see the primary application is, is in the church here because I'm going out of the Bible uh, when I talk about this. But what do you do when you feel offended? All right? Uh, so I'm going to give you some real practical stuff. You can take pictures of the screen if you want to. If you want these slides, I can give you these slides afterwards. No problem for me. Uh, they'll come up on the screen if you're watching this on on uh, Facebook Live, okay, what do you do? Uh, first thing, all right, you, you're going to pass this offense. You feel hurt, you feel offended, perhaps you've been sinned against, if you want to use theological terms, all right? Uh, you feel offended, and it's a very real perception, it's very, very real to you. Okay, you're going to pass this through several things, 
if you really want to do it in a healthy way, you're going to pass this offense through several, I'll call them thresholds, all right? So threshold number one, this is what happens when people are offended. Instinct kicks in. And psychologists tell you this, when people are in conflict, when there are high-pressure situations, they see it, people who are in, in the military, there's a flight or fight instinct that kicks in. And some psychologists say this is the brain that's doing this. So maybe you're like this. Maybe you're like this in your friendships, your marriage, your relationships, whatever. And you know you're either, your tendency is one or the other. You're going to stand there and you are going to fight. You'll fight clean. You'll fight dirty. It doesn't matter how, but you will fight. <laughs> or you'll do the other and you'll run. So if you're a fighter, you, you'll, you'll, I don't know, you'll troll the person on Facebook. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll go and you'll just trash the person. It'll be, it'll be like a shotgun approach. You'll just blast that person to anyone who you're talking to. Again, you may use social media for this, but you're, you'll, you'll go after the person directly. You'll just boom, you'll just fight that person. And it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter if it's dirty or clean because that's your instinct that's kicking in. Um, in a church, when this kind of thing happens, and, and I've seen this many times over in my ministry, which is like, you know, 18 plus years now as a pastor, but even before I was a pastor, my wife and I were very, very involved at the lay level doing pastoral ministry, not even as pastors uh, or me as a pastor. So I've seen all kinds of things in, in churches, okay? Our, again, our church is no exception and not singling ours out at all. But I'm just saying that's the tendency. In a church, you can do a lot of damage, if you have that fight instinct and you want to play clean, you want to play dirty, it doesn't matter. Uh, for many, many years, I actually resisted getting on Facebook at all. And now we have to use it in our new church, of course. But I resisted for many, many years because I had to clean a lot of battles. Uh, when people got angry, they just <laughs> all over the place on Facebook. Okay, that's the fight instinct. But then there's the flight and it's get out of there. You're having a a conflict with your spouse, it's heated, it's heavy, you just leave the room. You just get out of there. You just, you stonewall your spouse. You, for a week, you just don't talk to them. You're just out of there. You just check out. You're out of it. You're just, you're running out of there. Uh, and in a church, what can happen is people say, well, you know, I'm offended, and so I am leaving, <laughs> all right? And that, that happens in churches. I, I, I have seen that, and again, I think every pastor, I was just talking to a pastor this week, and he said, you know, this family left my church, and he gave me all the reasons why, and he smiled, and I smiled, and I said, well, that happens, and that's just the reality, but sometimes it's that fight or flight. So you're offended, and it, and it, can, it can be so many different things, right, when you're offended. Well, it's, she said this to me. Or she didn't say this to me. Or he said this or he didn't say this. Or it was the way that it was said. Or it was the tone. Or, you know, I was ignored. Or I was left alone. Or I was bypassed. Or why this person and not me? Why did they get the raise and I didn't? Why are they asked and I'm not? Uh, why are they given attention and I'm not? I've had this as a pastor. Why didn't he say hi to me? Why didn't he call me when I was sick? Why didn't he visit when I was sick? Why, is he, why does it seem like 
I don't matter. Why am I being disrespected? Why am I being demeaned? All these kinds of things. And oftentimes it's the tone in which the thing is done or not even done at all. And people begin to feel this sense of offense. Am I, am I, am I getting close to something here? Yeah, the quietness tells me I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere, okay? I'm just going to be really, really transparent and really, really honest. So you pass it through this fight or flight threshold, and you recognize you have a tendency. You're going to go one or the other way. What you need to do, first off, is you need to diminish that fight or flight. If it's at a 10 on a scale of 1 to 10, you need to take it down to like a 3, because you'll end up doing something, you'll end up saying something that later on you are going to regret it. You're going to say, it was instinct. It just kicked in. It just overwhelmed me. It just took over. And now, oh, wow, I didn't even realize I was doing it. That's that fight or flight. So you've got to recognize it in yourself. You've got to take it down. Okay, now I've got it down to a three. At least I can, I can deal with my emotion. But recognize that, my friends, you do have that type of instinct. In my case, I do both, okay? There are sometimes when I fight and sometimes when I flight. You can ask Janet and she will tell you about my, you know, craziness over our, goodness, 25 plus years of marriage, all right? So you're one of the two. Maybe you're both like me, but... Be careful of your instincts. Your instincts are not always godly. Sometimes they can be very, very carnal. Threshold number two, when you feel offended, pray and contemplate. The first one you go to when you are offended, in particular if you are a Christian, is the Lord. Go to God with the thing. Go to your God and contemplate it and process it, and pray about it. Before you react, pray. Okay, you've taken it through the first threshold, fight or flight, okay, you've got your meter down to a three. All right, now you're going to pray about it. Even if one and threshold one and two happen at the same time, pray about it. Do not omit the step of bringing the thing to God. Because if your relationship with God is a good one, if your relationship with God is a stable one, if it's a growing one, then oftentimes you will find early in the game, right at this stage, that because of your connection with God, because of your understanding of who he is and who you are, because of your understanding of his love and his grace, because of your understanding of his nature, you realize that the offense is kind of obliterated by that. You realize that, well, this, like, this is such a minor thing. I really, th I'm more concerned about God than I am about this. And oftentimes it can make the thing dissipate to virtually nothing. And it becomes really je m'en fous, we say in French. Do you know what I mean by that? You just kind of say, well, je m'en fous, you know, I, I know the Lord. And I may be offended, but man, this seems to be a lot smaller than it felt a couple of days ago because I've taken it to God and it's kind of absorbed in my relationship with God and in, in my love of his nature, this thing has really diminished. It changes your perspective when you bring the thing to God and you contemplate. 
and you think about it, you toss it around in your head, you bring it to God. I've had times where I, where I was offended, and I've been offended, oh my goodness, in church life I would say it's hundreds if not thousands of times over the last, whatever it is, 20 plus 30 years I think that I've been serving the Lord. Oh my goodness, I mean, let's be honest, friends, you get offended, okay? But many, many times... When I bring the thing to God, after a while, it's just like, well, this is a minimal, very minimal thing. But that may not be true. That may not be true in your case. But you've taken it through threshold number one. You've taken it through threshold number two. And you say, you know what? I still can't shake it. This thing still bothers me. It still gets under my skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the fight or flight. Yeah, yeah. I've taken it to God. And you know, it still bothers me. It bothers me. I still feel offended. I still feel hurt. This person did this. This person didn't do this, whatever it is. I still feel that. Well, then you're going to take it to number three. And this I'll call the grace test or the grace threshold. Did you know in the New Testament, we have, we have a very... Uh, uh, defined theology on this term one another and how we're to treat one another, particularly in the household of faith. Remember we said we're building a house last week. Well, you know, building a church is like building a house. It's not the building, but it's the network of relationships that you have. And in the, in the family of faith, there's this kind of grace test and there's this one another's theology that you see in the New Testament. It's very well defined. Well, some people say they can define 59 passages that all have this phrase, one another, and how we're to treat one another. Let me read some of them to you. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Hmm, you ever tried that? Love one another, which you see repeated and repeated and repeated and repeated in the New Testament. Uh, be devoted to one another in, in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another just as, in, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Wow, I wonder what a holy kiss looks like. They apparently do. Uh, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Uh, serve one another in love. Here's one that's really harsh. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by each other. Remember the deception of Satan. Get people to destroy one another. Let us not become conceited, provoking or en and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others as better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Good night. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward good deeds. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Again, love one another. Love one another. Love one another over and over and over and over again you see this theology have you passed your offense 
through that grace test where you say to yourself, you know what? My spouse is annoying. This person in the church is annoying. I can't stand this about what they do. It is so annoying. It is so frustrating. It is so offensive. But so am I. (laughs) But so can I be, you know, to your spouse. Well, you know, they have this habit. And it's just so, it's so offensive, but they don't seem to change it. Uh Uh-huh. What about yours? What about the habits that you have? After a while, especially in a marriage, you say, well, we give a lot of grace to one another because we both recognize that we've got a lot of warts. We've got a lot of, you know, a lot of baggage. And we we both tend to give a lot of grace. In a good marriage, that's what happens. A lot of grace. A lot of, well, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. A lot of, well, I can't change them, I can only change me. It's, it's kind of the grace test. And you need to pass your offense through that test as well. So you see, there's a lot of stuff that you do on your own before, before, before you get to threshold number four. And this is the last one. Uh, really the most common that I've seen is only really four thresholds you bring this through, and usually it's done by threshold number four. Sometimes it goes further, but that's rare. And that is, you've been offended. You've tried the fight or flight thing. You've taken your meter down to a three from a 10. Okay, good. You've taken it to God. You've prayed. You've contemplated. It's still there. You've passed it through the grace test. It's still there. Can I tell you, if you've gotten that far and it's still there, it may be a very, very serious issue. It may be a sin issue. Now, of course, whenever we're offended, we always feel like someone sinned against us, right? We always want to throw that word around. Uh, But it may be that. It may be to a point where you say, you know, this person, it's not just me. It's not just personality. It's not just this. It's not just they sinned against me and I cannot shake it. Okay, okay. You brought it through one, two, and three. You know what you do now? You take it to number four. And number four is you go to the person. You say, that sounds really simple, really easy. Uh Uh-uh. Most people don't do it. So most people, it's like, I do not want to have a confrontation with this person. And many of us, we avoid confrontation. Some of us are wired for confrontation. Some people have kind of prophetic personalities and they actually like confrontation. But I've discovered most people don't really like it. They try and avoid it. So they get to this level four and they say, well, somebody else can do it for me. I'll ask somebody else to go to the person for me, or I won't even ask somebody else to go to the person for me. I'll ask somebody else to go to somebody else who will go to the person for me. And when you do that, okay, what you're doing is you're short-circuiting all the work that you did before. What do you do? You go to the person. This is the way of Jesus. This is a difficult way. This is a hard way. This is the way that we want to avoid. I've had hundreds of people come to me over the years. They have a conflict with somebody else in the church. They come to me. They think, oh, well, well, tell the pastor, especially if they can spin it a certain way so that they look like a bit of a victim. And the pastor will say, well, shame on that person. I'm going to haul that person into my office or whatever. I'm going to give that person what for on your behalf. Ha, ha, ha. Thank you for coming to see the pastor. Eh, Wrong response. You know what I say when people come to me and they have a grievance against somebody else in the church? And they say, you know, this person really, really. I say, well, okay. Have you talked to that person yet? Well, no, I I can't talk to that person. They're this and that. Okay, have you tried? 
Have you picked up the phone? Have you contacted them and said, I'd like to meet with you? I'd like to discuss this with you? Have you tried that? Well, no, but... Uh, uh, okay. First, you go and you try that. If that doesn't work, then you come and see me. Nine times out of ten. No, 99 times out of 100, they have not tried that. They have not done that step. And usually when they do work up the gumption, or as we say in Yiddish, the chutzpah, to go and talk to the person, it tends to end there. It's over. It's dealt with. It's finished. It's over. And they've dealt with it. And boom, the two people are happy again. But you've got to get it to that place properly. Don't do it the other way. You're going to cause all kinds of problems because you short-circuited everything else and all the work that you did. Now, if it's a sin issue, if it's serious enough and it's a sin issue and you brought it to that person, it's a sin issue and they are unrepentant about it. You know, they stole money from you or whatever and you, you, you've confronted them and they are unrepentant about it. Then and only then does the circle get bigger. Then and only then Jesus says, okay, now you take two or three people and you confront that person. You say, hey, hey, we're at stage four here, and you stole money from this person. So uh, we're coming and we're challenging you because we're family. We're part of the household of faith, and we're challenging you. This needs to be corrected then and only then. But I have found most of the time, most of the things and most of the offenses that people have in the church, in particular, personality clash, tone or not tone, things that the person doesn't even realize that they did to offend somebody else. Listen, I will tell you as your pastor, let me make you a promise today. Let me make you a public promise. I will offend you. At one point, in one point or another, you will be offended by me. I guarantee you. And if you say, well, no, pastor, you never offend me. All right, somebody else will. Somebody else will because it's the family. It's normal. It happens. And people have blind spots and people have things that, you know, they don't even realize that they did it. Okay, so you've got to process this correctly. You've got to handle this correctly because it's, we want a healthy family. Go to the person, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Ouch. That's the hardest part of the equation. If they listen to you, you've won them over. Most of the time when that happens, and it's a personality thing, it's over at that point. But if they will not listen, then you've got an unrepentant sinner on your hands there. Take one or two others along, and then you've got, you're enlarging the circle to try and correct this individual because they've really, really walked across the line. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So you take it through those four thresholds. You're doing it the way of Jesus. Now then, what if you're on the other side of the equation, uh, the other side of the story, and you know you caused the offense? You are aware that you have offended someone. What do you do then? Say, well, we just, we just learned it, you know. Let the person come to me. I'll just sit there and wait and, you know, well, maybe I'll pray about it a little bit. And, you know, I won't fight or flight or whatever. I mean, it's their problem. They're offended by me. That's their tough luck. Let them go through the four little stages there. And if they work up enough gumption or chutzpah, they can come and see me and tell me their beef, you know. And I'll tell them where to go to their face kind of thing. We can get that attitude, can't we? We can get that. You know what that is? That's building on sand. That's not building on the rock. That's building on sand. When you know you have offended someone else, 
they're not coming to you. And they're not coming to you for a reason, whatever that reason may be. But you know, you now have the knowledge you offended someone else. What do you do? Well, this one's really tough. It's really tough. It takes a lot of maturity, but it's the way of Jesus. When you have offended, you need to remember your worship to God is affected by the unreconciled relationship. Your, your very worship of God is now affected because you have the knowledge that you caused offense to somebody else. That person has not come to see you for whatever reason, but you know. And so you are now accountable for what you know. You are accountable to God. And Jesus terms it this way in Matthew 5. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. There's an offense. There's something. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. You don't bother with it. You go and you be reconciled with them and then you come and you offer your gift. Why? Because your relationship with God is intertwined with your relationship with other people. These two are intertwined. You cannot, you cannot have bad relationships with people and expect your relationship with God to be good. It does not work that way. Jesus is very concerned about the relationships we have with one another. And when you know, you are now accountable. You know, even Spider-Man says it. With great power comes great responsibility, right? You know you offended. Well, then you need to take the initiative and you need to go to that person who you offended. Say, well, why should they be offended? I mean, they're too easily offended. That's their problem. They're too easily offended. You know what that is? Pride. That's not the way of Jesus. Go. Go worship God. You know what God will do? I'm not listening to you. <laughs> I'm not listening. Oh, but God, I tithe today. I don't care. I own, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Take your gift. I don't need your gift. What I need is your obedience. Go to the person. Take the initiative. And you go and you make it right. If you're offering your gift, you leave it at the altar. And you go and you make it right with that person. And then you offer the gift. You say, well, the person's not going to listen. I know who this person is. They're this and they're this. They're not going to listen to me. Is that your, can you control the person? No. Who can you control? Yourself. Yourself and your relationship with God. And your part of your relationship with that person, you can control. So you go to the person. You cannot control their behavior. They may ignore you. They may write you off. They may fluff you off. They, they will do whatever. You cannot control that. What, married people, you cannot control your spouse. You know you've offended them. You know you have to go to them. You go to them. If they fluff you off and they're in a bad mood, whatever, whatever, that's not your problem. Your problem is your relationship with God hinges on whether or not you're going to relate well to other people. So you're going to lose your salvation over this? No, I'm not going that far. I'm saying, do you want a healthy relationship with God? That involves healthy relationships with people as well. As far as it depends on you, Paul said to the Romans, you be at peace with everyone. Will you be able to achieve it? Not all the time. Will you be able to make the effort? Yes, you can. You can obey Jesus. You can do it the way of Jesus. When you know you have caused the offense, you need to take that initiative. You cannot control the other person's behavior. You can control your own. Now, we have an amazing reality in Christ. And if, uh, if um, uh, Justin and Sean could come to the, to the stage and you guys can start playing in the background, we're going to get into communion now. 
and we'll wrap up the service, okay? We have an amazing opportunity in God. And you can, it's okay, you can shut the stream down, that's fine. We have an amazing opportunity in God. And that is that we have caused him offense. We've done worse than offended uh, God. We have transgressed against God. So it's not just we've offended him. We have transgressed against him. We have broken his law. We have sinned against his heart. We have sinned against his nature. We've sinned against his holiness. Now, when we do this to people and we offend people, Jesus calls us to go to the people. Did we go to God in our offense and our sin? No, we didn't even know his name. We didn't even care. Maybe some of us didn't even believe he existed. And yet unbeknownst to us, because we're so obtuse and so obstinate to this, we have sinned against him and broken his heart. And so what did God do? Did God say, well, you know, too bad for them. I'm not doing anything about them. They're, they're an obstinate, sinful humanity. I'm not doing anything for them. No, what did God do? Instead of doing what we typically do, God came down and died for us. My goodness. So we offended him. We took no initiative to make it right. And he came and made it right with us. And he came and, and, and became flesh in the person of Jesus and died a brutal death for us on the cross. A stubborn and obstinate and sinful and obtuse and unaware humanity. And God went and did this for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an example of love that is. We're called now to say, well, I've offended someone. I'm going to take the initiative. But we didn't even do that. That's why the love of God is such a powerful thing. This is so powerfully illustrated on the cross. An unrepentant humanity God has died for already. Just waiting for that person, that even that one person to come to him and say, Lord, I receive that gift of salvation. Forgive me for my sin.